So, uh, good morning. So we're going to talk about that story, and uh, I'm going to tell it again without the sound effects and those kinds of things, uh, but uh, we're in this series called Great Summer Reads. Uh, the story this morning, Gideon's story, is from the Old Testament book of Judges. The book of Judges has this repeated theme that runs throughout and may have been mentioned last week because last week's story was from Judges as well, and the, story, and the theme is this, is that the Israelites will do evil in God's sight, then this outside force, and this morning's story, it's the Midianites will oppress the Israelites, and then God will send a rescue force or a rescuer. And the Israelites, had, as we're about to read the story yet again, are experiencing an attack from an outside force. The Midianites, as was mentioned in the video, uh, were not really good farmers, it seems, but they were really good at looting. And so the writer of Judges says that they were like a swarm of locusts, and they were large in number, and they would take everything. So during the harvest, every year for seven years, uh, there was this plague of locusts called the Midianites that would swarm into the Israelite nation. They would take all of their crops, they would uh, uh, scatter the livestock, and then they would ride back into the desert with all of their loot. And so you can imagine that if this were to happen for seven years in a row, there's an incredible economic distress that's taking place in the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, the people are starving, and they're hiding in caves to avoid this Midianite tribe that comes swarming in every year during the harvest. They're living in fear. And then Gideon comes into the story. You can read this all yourselves in Judges chapter 6 through 8. Gideon is not the guy that put Bibles in every hotel room, although he may be famous for that as well. But when his story begins, he is secretly attempting to thresh some grain in this hollowed out wine press. He's hiding. He's trying to protect parts of his crop so that he can survive, so that he could uh, get by. But in the process of this threshing, hiding in the wine press, Gideon meets an angel. And the angel challenges Gideon and inspires Gideon to fight the Midianites and to save the day. And he is promised that God will be on his side. And so Gideon begins gathering forces to fight the Midianites. And as mentioned in the video, he's able to gather 32,000 men. 32,000 men show up. Not nearly as many as he probably was hoping for because the Midianites have 135,000 warriors. 32,000 versus 135,000. So for every Israelite troop, there are more than four Midianite soldiers. And so up on the screen in Judges chapter 7, the story begins here. We're jumping into the, excuse me, jumping into the middle of the story. It says, so Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. And I wonder how Gideon reacted to that. He's got an army of 32,000, and he's already overmatched against 135,000. See, if I were Gideon, I always prefer to have more than enough. I want to have more than I need. I like abundance. I want some margin in life. Many hands make light work, right? 
So God gives this reason to Gideon. He says, if I let you, it's up on the screen, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid and afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 men leave. He's got 32,000, 22,000 leave. He's left with 10,000 men. Gideon was probably surprised by this. I mean, he's going around gathering people, likely going from town to town, sending messages out to the Israelites that were gathering for war, and 32,000 show up. And now when they're gathered together, and and Gideon says, if you want to go home because you're afraid, you can. And two-thirds of his army leave. Now the writer tells us that they are gathered at a place where they can see the Midianite army down below. And so I am sure when these soldiers gathered, these 32,000, the fear crept in as they looked out at 135,000 in front of them. And so Gideon now is left with 10,000 troops. The story continues up on the screen. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I will test them to determine who will go with me and who will not. So the ratio had been one to four, right? I mentioned that. Now with 22,000 troops gone, the ratio has increased. It's now one to about 13 Midianites. Longer odds than before. And God gives uh, gives Gideon the exact same reason. He says, Israel's going to take credit for this victory. If you had 32,000, or even if you have 10,000. They see, they could believe that they were underdogs, and they had just had good strategy, that they had great skill, that they had great strength or great resources. And so God wants to make sure the Israelites know who is the rescuer in this story. And so Gideon sends the remaining 10,000 to the river to get a drink. And it's up on the screen. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, and the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. So, so they, they reach down, grab some water, pull it up to their mouth. In the other group, put those who kneel down and drop and put their faces into the stream and suck up the water. Now, one commentator suggested that drinking water with your head in the river is uh, you make yourself an easy target. You're unaware that an enemy may be approaching. You may be susceptible to leeches. That's the stuff you read in commentaries, people. That they're, but here's my thought. They're just thirsty. They're just not good at soldiering. They're just tired. They're panicked. They're a little worried. There's 10,000 against 135, and they see a stream, and they've been maybe marching for a long time, and they get to the stream, and they just drop down to their knees and begin sucking up water. But there's a few who maintain their soldierly attitudes, who reach down and pull up some water and take a drink and move on. And so Judges chapter 7 says, Only 300 of the men drank with their hands, while all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So now 9,700 men, after putting their heads into the water to get a long drink, are told to go home. 
and only 300, only 300 are left. And so what started as an army of 32,000 is now reduced to 300, just 1%. What started as a 1 to 4 ratio is now one Israelite for for every 450 Midianite soldiers. God shrinks the army from 32,000 to 300, just 1%. And so now with the 300 men prepared for battle, Gideon now issues this interesting battle plan. He divides the 300 into three companies, 100 each, and he gives each man a clay jar, a lantern, and a horn. A clay jar, a lantern, and a horn. So he gathers 300 clay jars, 300 lanterns and horns. It's likely that before the 9,700 left, he gathered all their supplies. He collected all these things. The clay jars would be used to hide the lanterns that would be lit. And the trumpets would be used to call everyone to battle. So Gideon now takes his 300 men divided into three groups and he has them gather around the Midianite camp so that they've surrounded the camp with a hill on the other side. When all three divisions are in their position surrounding the Midianites, Gideon will give a signal and the men will break their clay jars and they'll blow their horns at the same time. And so again, up on the screen, it was just after midnight. After the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, and suddenly they blew the ram's horn and broke their clay jars. And so these Midianite soldiers are awakened to this explosion of noise and light and movement seemingly coming down the hill after them. And they believe that they're surrounded. See, usually there would only be a few soldiers carrying trumpets signaling the armies to advance. There typically would be just a few lantern bearers. They would be there to uh, just, just provide some light so soldiers could fight. And so the Midianites assume with 300 lanterns, 300 horns blowing, they're surrounded by a greater force. And so in their confusion in the night, they begin fighting each other. 135 Midianite soldiers fight each other, tuck tail and run, and the Israelites chase after them. You can read the whole story in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Judges chapter 6 through 8. Let me encourage you to read that during the week. Uh, there's a, it, it's a great story. Uh, you know, 300, I wanted to talk about a reference to the movie 300, uh, but I decided not to. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, uh, The Last Samurai, one of my all-time favorite movies with Tom Cruise. Uh, but I'm not going to mention that either. But as you read Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, have those stories in mind. It's got some great similarities, some great things about the smallness that God can use and do great things with. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning, that with only 1%, with only 1%, God through Gideon's 300 is able to save Israel. And so this is the one thing you may remember today. I want you to talk about it at lunch when you're together, gathered with your family later, is that smallness matters to God. Smallness matters to God. And why is that important? Because smallness requires faith. And God's desire is to increase our faith. 
You see, it's really hard to trust and depend on God only when we have so many resources at our disposal. See, it certainly is possible. I'm not suggesting it's not possible. But it is hard to depend on God when we have an abundance. When we seem to be strong enough or smart enough or healthy enough or gifted enough, it is possible to do a lot with our gifts. And it's possible to do a lot with our talents and our resources. And it's possible, though, to give all that credit to our talent and our gifts and our strength and our resources instead of God. See, an abundance can make it seem like we're doing it all on our own. But when we are small, we have to give the credit to God. See, this is a difficult concept living in the first world uh, USA. It's difficult understanding while living in suburbia. We have so much to lean on other than God. We have our homes, we have our families, we have our jobs, we have our paychecks, we have our health plans, we have our community. And all of those things are good things. But smallness matters to God. Because smallness increases our faith. It's why Jesus often, when he talked about faith, talked about children. Because children understand the idea of dependence. They understand the idea of smallness. See, we, we care for them. We guide them, right? Moms and dads, we, we keep them safe. We carry them. We feed them. We do nearly everything for them. And children embrace dependence. I remember as my kids were little, when we would come to uh, a, a street, or actually one, one of the times I remember most is uh, in the, the previous church I served, I lived in a parsonage that was on the church parking lot. And whenever we would go out our, our front door, we had to walk across the parking lot to get to church. And, and you folks drive really fast through our parking lots. Not, not this church, the other church I was at. And, uh, and, and so whenever we would go out the front door, I remember I would tap my kids on the shoulder and just put my hand out, and they knew immediately, grab dad's hand. They didn't fight back against that. They embraced dependence, right? They embraced the idea that dad is here to guide us. But then what happens is we teach them to crawl. We teach them to walk. We even teach them to tie their own shoes. We teach them to do it for yourself. And most of that is good and necessary and right because we want our kids to leave the nest. We don't want to be holding a 23-year-old's hand when we cross the parking lot. We want them to be able to do it on their own. And we want to launch them out so that they become whole men and women who contribute to society. But somewhere in the process of teaching them to be independent, we've given the message that dependence is a bad thing. We've mixed up ideas like do it on your own. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get back in the saddle. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger and things like that. And as adults, we seek and strive for independence, and we push back against trust, and we push back against faith, and we push back against dependence, because independence means big and strong, and dependence means small and weak. But let me challenge that this morning with this thought. Jesus said this. It's up on the screen. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small even as small as a mustard seed, you could move this mountain. Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing 
would be impossible. Now, if you've been to Sunday school as a kid, you probably know that mustard seeds are small, right? But we just said that small equals weak. And it seems that mustard seeds, though, grow into large plants. Even though it's one of the smallest seeds, a mustard tree is actually a tree that can grow as big as 20 feet tall and 20 feet wide. So Jesus seems to be telling us that even the smallest amount of faith can grow into something larger, large enough to move mountains. But there's something else about mustard seeds and mustard trees. More than just smallness. See, there are other seeds that are smaller, and there are other seeds that are even the same size. But Jesus chooses to use the mustard seed. He does it in more than just one example. You probably didn't learn this in Sunday school, that the mustard tree was considered a weed. It was a weed that would spread throughout a garden. And in the first century, where there were no weed killers or no landscaping companies that could come in and just eradicate your garden of weeds, this tree could grow in arid, dry climates. It could grow in clay or sandy soil. It could grow in hot climates or cool and wet climates. It was a tree that if you cut it down at the, root, at the trunk and left the root, it would continue to grow and spread. It was considered such a nuisance in the first century that in the first century it was illegal to plant mustard seeds. It was, illegal. It was an illegal weed. So do you see how scandalous and controversial this is to first century listeners? Jesus is suggesting that the smallest amount of faith is like a quickly spreading weed. That even the smallest amount can infiltrate and impact its surroundings. If Jesus were telling this parable today, he would say, imagine your faith is like the dandelion seed. Because what we know about dandelions, if you've got one, you're going to have more. Remember, right, as a kid, you pull them up. All those little things would go everywhere. If your neighbors have dandelions, guess what? You'll have them soon enough. Dandelion seeds, they go everywhere. Have you ever tried to buy dandelion seeds? You can't. It's an illegal weed. If I can keep saying that or not. They pop up everywhere. If you have one dandelion, you'll soon have more. So it's as if Jesus is telling his followers what seems small and insignificant when God is involved will pay huge dividends. A small and seemingly insignificant faith when God is involved will turn into great things. Faith that's even the smallest amount, like 1%, like 300 against a vast army. It's like a weed that can take over an area. That even the smallest amount of faith that when God is involved can spread and change its surroundings. So small with God 
is powerful. Now, let me tease that out a little bit further. Have you ever watched your grass grow? Anybody? Nobody's going to volunteer that one, right? Have you ever just sat and watched it? It seems to do nothing. But what happens when you go away on vacation for one or two weeks? Or what would happen if you told your landscaper, just take a couple weeks off? If there's just the right amount of rain, if there's just the right amount of sun, your yard is going to be overwhelmed. There may even be a few weeds that have popped up and snuck their way in there. And so somehow what seems to be doing nothing is actually growing and growing and growing everywhere. And so it seems that this is how God works best. God works best with small things. God works best with 1%. God seems to work when it seems that nothing else is happening. Yet it's growing and growing and growing until it can't be contained. What was once small and unnoticeable becomes faith-filled and significant. What seems to be doing nothing is growing everywhere. So all of a sudden, 300 clay jars are broken and 300 lanterns are shining and God comes in and saves the day. Now, I haven't preached in a few weeks, so I kind of had this message prepped a long time ago. I was excited about it. It's been a while since I've been here, but uh, I was all set, and then I had this story happen on Tuesday, and it kind of changed the rest of the sermon. So I was in Mount Laurel. You know, I spend most of my time in Mount Laurel these days, and while I was there, uh, I stopped at the community center at the township building, and uh, I, was, I was meeting with the township officials. He's responsible for a lot of the events that they plan, and we partner with with uh, the Mount Laurel Township as often as we can, just to, we're doing our best to, uh, uh, to plant some seeds, right? So while we're there meeting with him, as, we're, as I'm walking back to the car, and he's walking me back to my car, uh, I am thanking him for his hospitality over the last year that they always invite us to things and that we get to partner with them. And I was, I was just, you know, being excited, and I've been, we've been developing this friendship, he and I. And he said this. It's, listen, this is the most simple thing. It's not profound. Right, but it changed, it had a dramatic impact on me. He said this. So I said, Thanks, thanks so much for letting us be a part of part of things. And he says, Hope Church has already done so much for this community. He says, when we're in the planning stages, now he's the event guy. When we're in the planning stages, we know hope will want to help. And then he said, There aren't a lot of other churches doing that here. I walked to the car, I shook his hand, he went inside, I got inside my Honda Pilot, and I let out, and I'm not a demonstrative guy, right? I got in my car, and I'm like, thank you, God. Like, this was, this was huge for me, because, you know, I just having one of those days, like, yeah, yeah, I'm just going through the motions, doing the thing, I'm watching the grass grow, and nothing's happening. And then, he says that. Hey, thanks. Thank you. See, part of our vision at Hope is to be salt and light to our world, to be an influence, to show that hope makes a difference, that Jesus makes a difference. 
And I spend a lot of time in, my, in Mount Laurel, and we've spent a lot of time there. And over this past year, we've been at festivals and parks. We've passed out ice pops and pumpkins and Easter eggs, right? And we've passed out flyers and flyers and flyers and more flyers. I have paper cuts all over me, people. We recently just completed three family VBS events at Chick-fil-A. I told you about these things uh, the last time I was here, that, that, uh, that we've been planning these events. It's like this non-traditional vacation Bible school kind of thing where Chick-fil-A lets, lets people come in and sit together and, uh, uh, as a family, and then we provide a craft for them to do together where it's just kind of values-based craft ideas, and we just get to meet people. And we have met 30 families in three weeks, not 30 people. 30 different families, and they have said, yeah, we'll give, you your, we'll give you information about us. And I'm like, great, we'll give you this silly little kid thing. <laughs> what a great opportunity. And we're going to do three more times in August. Tiny seeds of faith, even as small as 1%, are being planted. And it can seem like we're watching grass grow. Or it's like lanterns hidden under clay pots, and you could begin to wonder, and I have begun to wonder, is anything happening? And here's what I heard God say to me in the parking lot of Mount Laurel Municipal Building, that people are beginning to notice that clay jars are going to be breaking and lanterns are going to be shining and God is going to save the day. And what was once small and unnoticeable is going to become faith-filled. And when it seems like nothing is happening, there are weeds of faith that are growing and growing and growing. And so I had this 1% of faith and I believe it's going to be life-changing and world-altering because Jesus makes all the difference. And so God can use your faith, even just 1%. That's why events like National Night Out are so important. It's why Dave has encouraged you in the early announcement time to sign up for that. So if you have time on Tuesday, you should volunteer, either at Voorhees or at Mount Laurel. Your attendance at all these things, while it may seem insignificant, you may wonder, what am I doing? All I do is show up and I wear a Hope t-shirt. Like, give me something else to do. But it's a mustard seed of faith. It's like 300 versus a large army. It means we can do it without much notice, but our impact is overwhelming. See, even the smallest amount brings Jesus into parts of the world that aren't yet touched by church. It's using, and if we use Jesus' imagery, it's spreading dandelion seeds and growing weeds everywhere. See, smallness matters to God. Smallness is how God works best. And that God would see 32,000 troops and he would say, no, that's too many because I want to get the credit for this victory. 1% is all God needs to save the day. A simple seed of faith, even the smallest amount, because smallness requires our dependence. It requires our trust. It requires us to have faith. Smallness expects God to be involved. Smallness assumes that without God, it's not possible to succeed. Smallness seems weak. But when God is involved, when God is involved, 1% even 1% can become life-changing and world-altering. So I want you to imagine what could God do with 1%, just 1%.
What could God, what could God do? See, there may be someone here who's saying, you know what, I just don't have a lot of faith. I'm not that guy. I'm not that girl. I don't, I don't, I'm not faith-filled. 1%. Even the smallest amount. Imagine what God could do with 1% of faith in your life, in your family, in your workplace. How about 1% of your time? We all have 168 hours in a week. We all, it's the one thing we all have the same of. I did the math, 1% would be one and a half to two hours, somewhere about there. What would happen if you said, God, I'm going to give you that 1% of my time? I'll join a small group. I'll join a ministry team. I don't know what you're going to do, but God, I'll give you that. Imagine what God could do with 1%. If God can save a nation, Imagine what he could do in your life. How about 1% of your finances? Instead of you using it, imagine what God could do with it. And you might be saying, have you seen my paycheck? 1% is hardly anything. Imagine what God could do with just 1% in your life. Even the smallest amount matters to God. Even the smallest amount of faith can spread like weeds throughout our world and throughout our community and change people's lives. Because we want to communicate that hope makes a difference, that Jesus is all the difference in our lives. Will you pray with me? And so God, I thank you for the story of Gideon. I thank you, God, for the faith that is demonstrated. And I pray, God, that we will be inspired to know that whatever we have that we can give, even the smallest amount of faith, that, God, you get to demonstrate your goodness. You get to demonstrate your power. You get to demonstrate your incredible love for us and for the world around us. And so, God, I pray that the challenge for each of us will be clear. Whether it is connected to our work, to our home, to our neighborhoods, to our church life. God, that we would have faith to give that 1%, that smallest of amounts, and that we could watch you work in and through it. And so, God, we'll trust you in those things. And, God, we expect to see you do great and mighty things. God, help us to be like dandelion seeds spreading throughout our communities, infiltrating and popping up in places where church and the world have not connected before. And that, God, we will be excited about the work that you're doing in and through us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.